Section twenty five of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume three, by James Boswell, Section twenty five in my interview with dr johnson this evening i was quite easy quite as his companion upon which i find in my journal the following reflection so ready is my mind to suggest matter for dissatisfaction that i felt a sort of regret that i was so easy i missed that awful reverence with which i used to contemplate mr samuel johnson in the complex magnitude of his literary moral and religious character i have a wonderful superstitious love of mystery when perhaps the truth is that it is owing to the cloudy darkness of my own mind i shall be glad that i am more advanced in my progress of being so that i can view dr johnson with a steadier and I. my dissatisfaction to-night was foolish would it not be foolish to regret that we shall have less mystery in a future state that we now see in a glass darkly but shall then see face to face this reflection which i thus freely communicate will be valued by the thinking part of my readers who may have themselves experienced a similar state of mind he returned next day to streatham to mr thrale's where as mr strawn once complained to me he was in a great measure absorbed from the society of his old friends Footnote. goldsmith notices this in the haunch of venison my friend bade me welcome but struck me quite dumb with tidings that johnson and burke would not come for i knew it he cried both eternally fail the one with his speeches and t'other with thrale End of footnote. i was kept in london by business and wrote to him on the twenty seventh that a separation from him for a week when we were so near was equal to a separation for a year when we were at four hundred miles distance i went to streatham on monday march the thirtieth before he appeared mrs thrale made a very characteristical remark i do not know for certain what will please dr johnson but i know for certain that it will displease him to praise anything even what he likes extravagantly Footnote. johnson said he who praises everybody praises nobody End of footnote. at dinner he laughed at querulous declamations against the age on account of luxury increase of london scarcity of provisions and other such topics houses said he will be built till rents fall and corn is more plentiful now than ever it was footnote johnson wrote in july seventeen seventy five 
everybody says that the prospect of harvest is uncommonly delightful but this has been so long the summer talk and has been so often contradicted by autumn that i do not suffer it to lay much hold on my mind our gay prospects have now for many years together ended in melancholy retrospects on august the twenty seventh seventeen seventy seven he wrote amidst all these little things there is one great thing the harvest is abundant and the weather a la merveille no season ever was finer End of footnote. i had before dinner repeated a ridiculous story told me by an old man who had been a passenger with me in the stage-coach to-day mrs thrale having taken occasion to allude to it in talking to me called it the story told you by the old woman now madam said i give me leave to catch you in the fact it was not an old woman but an old man whom i mentioned as having told me this i presumed to take an opportunity in presence of johnson of showing this lively lady how ready she was unintentionally to deviate from exact authenticity of narration thomas a kempis he observed must be a good book as the world has opened its arms to receive it it is said to have been printed in one language or another as many times as there have been months since it first came out Footnote. the first edition was in fourteen ninety two between that period and seventeen ninety two according to this account there were three thousand six hundred editions but this is very improbable malone malone assumes as mr croker points out that this rate of publication continued to the year seventeen ninety two but after all the difference is trifling johnson here forgot to use his favourite cure for exaggeration counting round numbers he said are always false horace walpole after making a calculation writes i may err in my calculations for i am a woeful arithmetician but no matter one large sum is as good as another End of footnote. i was always struck with this sentence in it be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be he said i was angry with herd about cowley for having published a selection of his works but upon better consideration i think there is no impropriety in a man's publishing as much as he chooses of any author if he does not put the rest out of the way a man for instance may print the odes of horace alone he seemed to be in a more indulgent humour than when this subject was discussed between him and mr murphy when we were at tea and coffee there came in lord trimlestown in whose family was an ancient irish peerage but it suffered by taking the generous side in the troubles of the last century Footnote. since this was written the attainder has been reversed and nicholas barnwall is now a peer of ireland with this title 
the person mentioned in the text had studied physic and prescribed gratis to the poor hence arose the subsequent conversation malone end of footnote he was a man of pleasing conversation and was accompanied by a young gentleman his son i mentioned that i had in my possession the life of sir robert sibbald the celebrated scottish antiquary and founder of the royal college of physicians at edinburgh in the original manuscript in his own handwriting and that it was i believed the most natural and candid account of himself that ever was given by any man as an instance he tells that the duke of perth then chancellor of scotland pressed him very much to come over to the roman catholic faith that he resisted all his grace's arguments for a considerable time till one day he felt himself as it were instantaneously convinced and with tears in his eyes ran into the duke's arms and embraced the ancient religion that he continued very steady in it for some time and accompanied his grace to london one winter and lived in his household that there he found the rigid fasting prescribed by the church very severe upon him that this disposed him to reconsider the controversy and having then seen that he was in the wrong he returned to protestantism i talked of some time or other publishing this curious life mrs thrale i think you had as well let alone that publication to discover such weakness exposes a man when he is gone johnson nay it is an honest picture of human nature how often are the primary motives of our greatest actions as small as sibyl's for his reconversion Footnote. see franklin's autobiography for his conversion from vegetarianism End of footnote. mrs thrale but may they not as well be forgotten johnson no madam a man loves to review his own mind that is the use of a diary or journal footnote johnson advised boswell to keep a journal the great thing to be recorded is the state of your own mind End of footnote. lord trimlestown true sir as the ladies love to see themselves in a glass so a man likes to see himself in his journal boswell a very pretty illusion johnson yes indeed boswell and as a lady adjusts her dress before a mirror a man adjusts his character by looking at his journal i next year found the very same thought in atterbury's funeral sermon on lady cups where having mentioned her diary he says in this glass she every day dressed her mind this is a proof of coincidence and not of plagiarism for i had never read that sermon before next morning while we were at breakfast johnson gave a very earnest recommendation of what he himself practised with the utmost conscientiousness i mean a strict attention to truth even in the most minute particulars accustom your children said he constantly to this 
if a thing happened at one window and they when relating it say that it happened at another do not let it pass but instantly check them you do not know where deviation from truth will end Buswell. it may come to the door and when once an account is at all varied in one circumstance it may by degrees be varied so as to be totally different from what really happened our lively hostess whose fancy was impatient of the rain fidgeted at this and ventured to say nay this is too much if mr johnson should forbid me to drink tea i would comply as i should feel the restraint only twice a day but little variations in narrative must happen a thousand times a day if one is not perpetually watching johnson well madam and you ought to be perpetually watching it is more from carelessness about truth than from intentional lying that there is so much falsehood in the world Footnote. nobody can live long without knowing that falsehoods of convenience or vanity falsehoods from which no evil immediately visible ensues except the general degradation of human testimony are very likely uttered and once uttered are sullenly supported End of footnote. in his review of dr wharton's essay on the writings and genius of pope johnson has given the following salutary caution upon this subject nothing but experience could evince the frequency of false information or enable any man to conceive that so many groundless reports should be propagated as every man of eminence may hear of himself some men relate what they think as what they know some men of confused memories and habitual inaccuracy ascribe to one man what belongs to another and some talk on without thought or care a few men are sufficient to broach falsehoods which are afterwards innocently diffused by successive relators had he lived to read what sir john hawkins and mrs piozzi have said concerning himself how much would he have found his observation illustrated he was indeed so much impressed with the prevalence of falsehood voluntary or unintentional that i never knew any person who upon hearing an extraordinary circumstance told discovered more of the incredulous odi quocunque ostendis mihi sic incredulus odi for while upon such monstrous scenes we gaze they shock our faith our indignation raise francis johnson speaks of the natural desire of man to propagate a wonder wonders he says are willingly told and willingly heard speaking of voltaire he says it is the great failing of a strong imagination to catch greedily at wonders according to mrs piozzi hogarth said johnson though so wise a fellow is more like king david than king solomon 
for he says in his haste that all men are liars End of footnote. he would say with a significant look and decisive tone it is not so do not tell this again footnote. the following plausible but overprudent counsel on this subject is given by an italian writer quoted by Redi, de generatione insectarum with the epithet of divini poete sempre a quel ver capace di mezogne dell'uom quedir le labbra quanto el puote però che senza colpa fa vergogne it is strange that boswell should not have discovered that these lines were from dante the following is wright's translation that truth which bears the semblance of a lie should never pass the lips if possible though crime be absent still disgrace is nigh End of footnote. he inculcated upon all his friends the importance of perpetual vigilance against the slightest degrees of falsehood the effect of which as sir joshua reynolds observed to me has been that all who were of his school are distinguished for a love of truth and accuracy which they would not have possessed in the same degree if they had not been acquainted with johnson talking of ghosts he said it is wonderful that five thousand years have now elapsed since the creation of the world and still it is undecided whether or not there has ever been an instance of the spirit of any person appearing after death all argument is against it but all belief is for it he said john wesley's conversation is good but he is never at leisure footnote of john wesley he said he can talk well on any subject southey says that his manners were almost irresistibly winning and his cheerfulness was like perpetual sunshine wesley recorded on december the eighteenth seventeen eighty three i spent two hours with that great man dr johnson who is sinking into the grave by a gentle decay End of footnote. he is always obliged to go at a certain hour footnote when you meet him in the street of a crowded city he attracted notice not only by his band and cassock and his long hair white and bright as silver but by his pace and manner both indicating that all his minutes were numbered and that not one was to be lost though i am always in haste he says of himself i am never in a hurry because i never undertake any more work that I can go through with perfect calmness of spirit. End of footnote. This is very disagreeable to a man who loves to fold his legs and have out his talk as I do. On Friday, April the third, I dined with him in London in a company where were present several eminent men, whom I shall not name, but distinguish their parts in the conversation by different letters. Footnote no doubt the literary club mr croker says that it appears by the books of the club that the company on that evening consisted of dr johnson president 
mr burke mr boswell dr george fordyce mr gibbon dr johnson again named sir joshua reynolds lord upper ossery and mr r b sheridan e no doubt stands for edmund burke and j for joshua reynolds who are meant by the other initials cannot be known mr croker hazards some guesses but he says that sir james mackintosh and chalmers were as dubious as himself End of footnote. f i have been looking at this famous antique marble dog of mr jennings valued at a thousand guineas said to be alcibiades's dog johnson his tail then must be docked that was the mark of alcibiades's dog E. a thousand guineas the representation of no animal whatever is worth so much at this rate a dead dog would indeed be better than a living lion johnson sir it is not the worth of the thing but of the skill in forming it which is so highly estimated everything that enlarges the sphere of human powers and shows man he can do what he thought he could not do is valuable the first man who balanced the straw upon his nose footnote, a man came in balancing a straw upon his nose and the audience were clapping their hands in all the raptures of applause according to davis in one year after paying all expenses eleven thousand pounds for the produce of mr maddox the straw man's agility added to the talents of the players at covent garden theatre johnson who rode upon three horses at a time in short all such men deserved the applause of mankind not on account of the use of what they did but of the dexterity which they exhibited boswell yet a misapplication of time and assiduity is not to be encouraged addison in one of his spectators commends the judgment of a king who as a suitable reward to a man that by long perseverance had attained the art of throwing a barleycorn through the eye of a needle gave him a bushel of barley johnson he must have been a king of scotland where barley is scarce f one of the most remarkable antique figures of an animal is the boar at florence johnson the first boar that is well made in marble should be preserved as a wonder when men arrive at a facility of making boars well then the workmanship is not of such value but they should however be preserved as examples and as a greater security for the restoration of the art should it be lost e we hear prodigious footnote sir said edwards to johnson i remember you would not let us say prodigious at college End of footnote. complaints at present of immigration footnote emigration was at this time a common topic of discourse dr johnson regretted it as hurtful to human happiness End of footnote. i am convinced that emigration makes a country more populous J that sounds very much like a paradox e exportation of men like exportation of all other commodities 
makes more be produced johnson but there would be more people were there not emigration provided there were food for more e no leave a few breeders and you'll have more people than if there were no emigration johnson nay sir it is plain there will be more people if there are more breeders thirty cows in good pasture will provide more calves than ten cows provided they have good bulls e there are bulls enough in ireland johnson smiling so sir i should think from your argument boswell you said exportation of men like exportation of other commodities makes more be produced but a bounty is given to encourage the exportation of corn and no bounty is given for the exportation of men footnote in seventeen sixty six johnson wrote a paper first published in eighteen hundred and eight to prove that the bounty upon corn has produced plenty the truths of these principles he says our ancestors discovered by reason and the french have now found it by experience in this regulation we have the honour of being masters to those who in commercial policy have been long accounted the masters of the world in sixteen eighty eight was granted the parliamentary bounty upon the exportation of corn the country gentlemen had felt that the money price of corn was falling and the bounty was an expedient to raise it artificially to the high price at which it had frequently been sold in the times of charles i and second the year seventeen ninety two the last year of peace before the great war was likewise the last year of exportation End of footnote. though indeed those who go gain by it are but the bounty on the exportation of corn is paid at home e that's the same thing johnson no sir ah a man who stays at home gains nothing by his neighbours emigrating boswell i can understand that emigration may be the cause that more people may be produced in a country but the country will not therefore be the more populous but the people issue from it it can only be said that there is a flow of people it is an encouragement to have children to know that they can get a living by emigration ah yes if there were emigration of children under six years of age but they don't emigrate until they could earn their livelihood in some way at home See it is remarkable that the most unhealthy countries where there are the most destructive diseases such as egypt and bengal are the most populous johnson countries which are the most populous have the most destructive diseases that is the true state of the proposition see holland is very unhealthy yet it is exceedingly populous johnson i know not that holland is unhealthy but its populousness is owing to an influx of people from all other countries disease cannot be the cause of populousness 
for it not only carries off a great proportion of the people but those who are left are weakened and unfit for the purposes of increase ah mr e i don't mean to flatter but when posterity reads one of your speeches in parliament it will be difficult to believe that you took so much pains knowing with certainty that it could produce no effect that not one vote will be gained by it Footnote. though fraught with all learning yet straining his throat to persuade tommy townsend to lend him a vote goldsmith's retaliation horace walpole says of lord mansfield's speech on the habeas corpus bill of seventeen fifty eight perhaps it was the only speech that in my time at least had any real effect that is convinced many persons End of footnote. waving your compliment to me i shall say in general that it is very well worth while for a man to take pains to speak well in parliament a man who has vanity speaks to display his talents and if a man speaks well he gradually establishes a certain reputation and consequence in the general opinion which sooner or later will have its political reward besides though not one vote is gained a good speech has its effect though an act which has been ably opposed passes into a law yet in its progress it is modelled it is softened in such a manner that we see plainly the minister has been told that the members attached to him are so sensible of its injustice or absurdity from what they have heard that it must be altered footnote gibbon who was now a member of parliament was present at this dinner in his autobiography he says after a fleeting illusive hope prudence condemned me to acquiesce in the humble station of a mute timidity was fortified by pride and even the success of my pen discouraged the trial of my voice but i assisted at the debates of a free assembly i listened to the attack and defence of eloquence and reason i had a near prospect of the character views and passions of the first men of the age the eight sessions that i sat in parliament were a school of civil prudence the first and most essential virtue of an historian end of footnote end of section twenty five